Hello, everybody. It's Dr. Sophie with my weekly podcast. Hope everybody's doing well. I'm glad you're back, and I'm glad I'm back. We've talked a lot in the last couple of weeks about things that have been really very interesting, some very difficult, some family-oriented, some partner-oriented. But in general, I think that we've had some really interesting topics. But I honestly think that each week everything is interesting, and I love all of your feedback. I like your tweets. I like your emails because I'm really doing this for you guys and for all of us to learn how to be better parents, better people, and make our community really connect better so that everybody lives happy and as happy as we can and really productive for our kids because that is the next generation that we're doing, you guys, and we got to do it right. This week we are going to talk about a pretty – Interesting topic again, and it's out there and it's been out there for many, many times, many years. It's been in different formats, but at the end of the day, bullying is bullying. And there's been bullies for years and centuries, and there'll be them for the future. But the bottom line is what is a bully? What makes a bully? What is bullying? Do you get bullied? Does your child get bullied? Every day, something like that is going on. Sometimes it's subtle. You don't even know it. Sometimes it's very apparent, and you do know it because you feel it. You feel it physically or you feel it emotionally, and none of it is ever easy to deal with. So today, we're going to be talking about bullying. So give me a call at one eight five five sophie now or one eight five five seven six seven four nine six six. So today, I have really great guests, people I'm really honored to have part of my day today to be able to share with you their expertise from various backgrounds of their lives, talking about bullying. And in studio with me, I am more than honored to have with me the lovely Mary Mm -hmm. Carey. Hi, Dr. Sophie. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for joining me. Oh, of course. (laughs) Very nice. I know it's a little early for you, but you're okay. I know it is. (laughs) So Mary's going to be talking a little bit about her bullying stuff. Not that she bullies, but she probably got bullied or whatever. But we're going to talk about that and... um, and a little bit about her life, and then we're going to be joined by a whole nother guest so that the three of us can really share our stuff and then go from there. We're going to have a couple callers and some emails, and I just want to make everybody feel you know, as informed as they can or at least know where to go when they feel bullied. What do you think bullying is to you? When I say that, what does it mean? Um, well, I, don't, I think it's someone getting picked on for some sort of reason, you know, um, for being... You know, it could be for, for being different or, you know, for what someone thinks is that person being different. You know what yeah. I mean? Or for someone who you could be bullied for being the smartest kid or for being not the smartest kid. Right. You know, like I know my mom was bullied growing up in high school. And? And um, like I know that she actually was, you know, like she kept getting picked on because she, you know, was slower and she was schizophrenic. But they didn't know that yet at the time when she was 15 and she was always picked on. She had no friends and people used to, her, you know, her last name was Wochuk and they called her Woodchuck. And yeah. um, and, and just, how did you learn all that? I mean, did she tell you or? Uh, my grandparents told me, but I actually used to go through like all my grandma's old paperwork and I had found when my mom was suspended because she finally, when they kept, you know, I guess they were throwing her her snow hat around on the bus and yeah. my mom finally fought back and beat a girl up after they kept being so mean to her. And then my mom got suspended for fighting after she finally defended herself against all the bullying. See, and that's my big thing. I want to ask Joel, uh, the, our next expert, like, what is just uh, that's what kids do versus that's bullying? Like, when do you draw that line? Where do you cross over where you're bullying somebody? But, you know, even all these years later, I'm sure it's got to be painful to know that somebody you cared about was bullied in such a way. Well, my mom even dealt with it. I mean, 
I remember when I was in elementary school and we, you know, my grandmother and I would drop my mom off at the bus stop and my mom would tell us about how sometimes, you know, some of the teenagers or the, you know, the younger people that would ride the bus would call her a retard or pick on her on the bus and she would sometimes not want to ride the bus because people would pick on her. And, um, you know, as a kid, it was hard. I didn't quite under, you know, because I I, th- I viewed my mom as different too. But right. it 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 definitely makes me sad just to think that people made fun of my mom and picked on her and and that hurt her feelings and everything. And yeah, it's painful. For, yeah, it, it's. And so, like, the uh, point is that bullying just doesn't isn't between those two people. It yeah. trickles out into families and communities, and that's honestly why I want to talk about it because everybody is probably toxic from hearing about bullying. But the bottom line is. There was a movie that just came out about Mm -hmm. it, and I think today in the news, I just heard one of the presidential candidates was was called a bully back in his days, and what does that mean? And so it's obviously been there, and it's very painful, and I think many people, many families suffer a lot from it, and I don't think people realize it because it's maybe not a bruise you can see. And a lot of people don't realize that bullying, it doesn't stop when someone, it doesn't stop from in childhood. Bullying continues as adults, Right. Too. And what do you, you mean? Know? Tell me more about that. Well, I mean, well, you know, people made fun of my mom when she was an adult, but you always hear stories of, you know, um, people maybe, you know, in college, there's someone who's, you know, getting picked on or someone, in, you know, in a fraternity or someone that gets picked on or um, even in, in the workplace, maybe... Maybe there's, let's say there's a group of electricians and there's one electrician that everyone picks on that maybe right. they think that he's gay. Right. And uh, those other electricians will all pick on him. Right. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> so I, And I know things like that do happen. So I think that I, I just think it's something that continues to happen all throughout adulthood. So you think it's a behavior pattern for somebody who's a bully that that either they get that dealt with or it becomes a way of life and for them to deal and navigate through their life. Um, I think that someone who is a bully, yeah, I think they're gonna. I think they continue it throughout their right. life. But they're always gonna find someone who they believe is maybe weaker than them, right, right. and I think that they're gonna gather everyone else together. And maybe other people sometimes because they get intimidated by that bully, they will side with the bully because they don't want to be the one picked on. Yeah, so they don't want to be the next victim. Yeah, everyone will gather together with the bully maybe and pick on that one person. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting because I want to also ask our expert. Do pe- both people have a role in it? You know, how does that happen? Like, is it really just one-sided? Is it somebody who's, uh, you know, a bully who looks for weaker people in that power differential? Or, or do both of these people partake in this process and really, you know, have a responsibility? Because I had done a uh, commentary for a video on a bullying children on the Today Show about, a, about eight months ago. And I really felt that both of these kids had a responsibility in this. To the point where then the boy that was fin- was being picked on finally hauled off and hit the kid. But at like the end of the day, my mom when she finally fought yeah, back. I mean yeah. you get you do get pushed to a point where you have to act down and and who's responsible because the kid kind of stood there and took it for all these months until yeah, he blew. Yeah, exactly. But what is he doing that might engage with that kid? And so I think there's a responsibility, but I. Want to see what other people think? And isn't the bullying kind of like what the Columbine murders back? Remember in that right. basically wasn't that a kid who was getting bullied who eventually right. fought back? Right. And right. I think that is a danger that sometimes I mean the I you know, the kids who are getting bullied eventually do want to fight Absolutely. back. Absolutely, because it's quiet anger that ends yeah. up exploding. At this point I'd like to bring in my next expert, Dr. Joel Haber. Joel and I have been friends for a while. We were on the board for LG Texting Ed Fund. Council, which 
I think really meant that we made up the rules for how parents were taught (laughs) about kids texting and and how to look at your child's phone and Uh, the rules and regulations. I can't can't imagine having gone to high school with like texting and Facebook and Twitter. Oh my, I can't even imagine that would've been horrible. But anyway, (laughs) I don't know how they do it these days. Dr. Haber and I. (laughs) I'm glad I didn't have to do that. (laughs) Dr. Haber and I were both on this council with LG phones and really came up with some great stuff and. He's done a lot. He's a clinical psychologist. He's nationally recognized parenting expert who has dedicated more than 20 years to abusive behaviors in kids and adults. He's just a bullying expert. And Joel, are you there? Yep. Nice to see you. How are you? I'm good. How can you see me? <laughs> well, see you through your voice. I know. <laughs> I thought I was going to be videoed in, but we couldn't do that, so we'll do uh, it another time. How are you? I'm doing great. How about yourself? I'm good. You're here with myself and Mary Carey. Mm-hmm. Nice, nice to meet you. Hi, Joel. Dr. So, Joel. So tell us a little <laughs> bit about yourself, Dr. Joel. <laughs> well, I, I'm a clinical psychologist, as you said. I spend a lot of time working with kids, and I train a lot of school staff and summer camp staff and sports team coaches on how to recognize bullying and how to kind of put a stop to it at that level so kids can enjoy themselves and have fun rather than have to worry about bullying. So we had a couple questions. I mean, sure. in general, when does it cross the line where it's kids will be kids to it's bullying? Great question. You know, the hardest thing for adults to see and understand is what bullying is because everything's thrown into that kind of discussion now. Right. Any behavior, you know, a kid like pushes a kid with a finger, it's bullying. It's really not. The way we look at it is that, you know, one or more kids kind of are kind of mean in a hurtful way to, to a kid right. who doesn't want them to be mean to them. You yeah. know, try, if, try, really, if you and I were like teasing each other yeah. and we were going back and forth and having fun, right. that's not bullying. We're having fun. Right. Right. But if I was to tease Mary and she was upset and I recognized that she was upset, I have to learn that cue. And I would realize she doesn't like it, so I'd quit. Unless I was a bully. If I was a bully, I'd see it as an opportunity to then cross the line and make her feel Uh, worse, which is bullying behavior. So it's kind of like you see that little crack there and you see them weaker or having a hard time and you provoke it more. Right. But most kids, you know, when they recognize that they're hurting a kid, will stop because they really don't have the intention to hurt a kid. But if they really want to kind of make that kid feel bad and increase their own power and they want to make a kid feel bad, that crack is that line that they then cross for that purpose. Well, I don't know. What about you, Mary? But I would wonder why would a kid want to make another kid really feel bad or take advantage of them? Um, you know, I... It's yeah, kind of like a weird thing, right? A kid's like sociopath? Yeah. No, it's not like that, though. What is it, though? Well, a lot of kids do it because they look for a reaction and they want social support for that kind of behavior. Some kids learn at home to kind of be aggressive, and aggression wins. So they'll test that out with their friends, and if they can get uh, other kids to join in and take another kid down and everyone starts laughing and having fun at someone else's expense, yeah. that behavior will go on. So, you know, one of the things we were... T- uh, were thinking about is, you know, I was telling Mary, I did a thing for the Today Show on bullying, and I felt that, you know, isn't there a responsibility of both people in that dynamic to some degree? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. I mean, some kids, obviously, are like taunting a kid who does not really physically feel safe to go after someone. Right. Like, are you talking about that kid who was that kind of medium-sized kid who went after that big kid who was kind of being provoked, and then that kid just slammed him? Right. Right. That was a different kind of scenario in that That kid was pushed and pushed and pushed and almost egging on that kid to do something. Right. He didn't expect that kid to pick him up and flip him over. Right. But most kids who are bullied are kind of in a weak position and are really unable to defend themselves. Yeah. But but your point is, right, do they have responsibility? Well, I think we do as parents and educators need to kind of 
try to give them skills to help themselves because if we can give kids this ways to work it out, that's always so much better than having adults do it. Yeah, but I mean, like, I understand why he flipped him over finally, got fed up, but the bottom right. line is, you know, I think that violence isn't the answer. It, agreed. That's the issue for me. It's totally not the answer, but we can, if schools allow that to happen in their school and kids stand around and watch it, and a kid thinks it's fine, how's it going to stop? Right, and that's the point of really um, why we're doing this podcast on this topic, because it does take a community of people to pull together, get educated, and really have a responsibility when it's going on on your premises, if it's, just, if it's the school, if it's the after-school program, the kids are at your house or whatever it is, or on a bus or even on the road. I mean, this isn't a kid thing, I don't think, is it? No, it's really more of a parent thing in that, or an educator thing in that how we set those rules in our home, how we set those rules in our community and in our schools actually determines how much bullying goes on in a community. But don't, don't adults bully each other still? Well, that's the biggest problem, right? Adults, and I've done lots of work on this in research to kind of find that parents or adults don't even recognize when they're doing it. That's the point. What is that? What are they supposed to be looking for? Well, they, they have to look for things like gossiping, starting rumors, clicking behavior themselves, where they're really kind of meanly, yeah. hurtfully leaving other adults out of their groups, right? Too, you know, being two-faced, saying one thing in front of someone on the phone, getting off the phone and completely having a different story and gossiping about them behind their backs. Their kids hear this stuff. When their kids hear this stuff, what are they going to do? They're going to go out and practice the same thing. Yeah, that's true, I guess. I agree with that. Right. And most parents, most adults, when you like, really kind of ask them to kind of think about their own behavior, yeah. recognize that they're doing it, but they never think about it. It's part of what they consider normal, which yeah. is why kids think it's normal. So they're role modeling for their kids. Many times that is the case. There is a piece of their behavior that is typical behavior for kids. Like, I know that there's a certain age where girls will just kind of click mm-hmm. and they get mean. Mary, you should know that, uh, don't they? You know, um... Like, fourth grade, sixth-something. Well, how about they... this? Excuse me, Mary, for interrupting, yeah. but we know now that girls start this behavior at three. See? Oh, wow. I work Mary. in preschool, I and like I can I tell you that, that at three they start excluding each other. Mm. So by the time they get to elementary school, they're experts. So, Mary, what, what, I'm just curious, when you thought about that, what age did you think kids actually start this? Gosh, I mean, the only grade I ever remember being, like, where I was ever picked on was fourth grade. Right. Because I remember I used to, um, my best, I was in a fourth, fifth grade combination. and um, you were smart, we know. Yeah, no, but I was, <laughs> and uh, my other fourth grade girlfriend, we used to hold, walk holding hands, and the other girls used to call me a lesbian in fourth wow. grade, and I remember I didn't know what that was. And the other thing is they used to always pick on me for, um, they used to say my clothes were babyish. Ah. And so, and then they used to call me Chinese girl. Why? Because they said I looked Chinese. Ah. So I was Chinese girl, lesbian, and I dressed babyish. Baby clothes. Yeah, because, you know, I was with the fifth graders. Right. So um, that was my big year. That was the only time I remember, like, the girls being really, you know, mean to me. So I'm going to say the fifth grade girls were mean, <laughs> but I don't remember, you know, after that. But I well, guess in ballet, in the ballet world, girls are, I guess, because I, you know, I got really competitive with yeah, ballet. Yeah, competitive. I mean, I know I sometimes was a little bit mean in ballet class in ninth and 10th grade because I was like the star pupil. So I would sometimes be not mean, but I would just make faces at other girls that weren't as good when they would go across the floor. But right. I don't think I. That's not, is that bullying, Joe? I don't know if that is. You know what? I mean, I think the yeah. thing is that some mm-hmm. kids at those young ages, yeah. they just kind of test behaviors out. I don't right. know if they're thinking about intention, like they want to really make that kid feel bad, or they're just kind of like trying to buddy up with a different person. Like they have to kind of be made aware of their behaviors if it does hurt someone. 
It's a lot yeah. of training. So, they mean, may not. Some may not have any knowledge that they're doing mean stuff. Right. They may just grow up in that home where it's normal. And, and so is there a pattern that we should be looking for to be able to kind of label it as bullying? Yeah, it's kind of like we kind of like draw that line after the first time it happens. If there's a signal that someone you behave towards in a mean way feels yeah. bad, we try to teach kids to, like, learn the cue. Does someone look upset? Do they tell you they don't like it, you know, they don't like that behavior? Do they let you know in some way that what you did made them feel bad? After that, if you continue it, that's the bullying behavior. I got it. All right. It's got to be more than once because, you know, you don't need, kids don't know the first time because it's different for everybody. Right. Okay. I have a question. Does it affect, like, I noticed, I think, when I, because I went to a public school, you know, up till eighth grade, and then eighth grade through twelfth, I went to a preparatory school that was, it was a very expensive, you know, private prep school. Right. And I don't think I really, at the prep school, really ever saw any bullying. We used to leave our backpacks in the hallways. But at the public school, I mean, there would be fights. I mean, there was lots of, like, fist fights on the playground and kids, like, fighting and people getting beat up. And versus at the, my private school, there was never a fight once. Do you think that families like the wealth like an um right. like if the parents are more educated versus uh less educated that affects if a kid maybe becomes a bully and you know um, yeah, like the socioeconomic the yeah, status socioeconomic, does that yeah. does that dictate or predict any ability to bully i don't know what do yeah, you think? actually the research on that does not really support that that way they actually say from lower income homes there's more potential for bullying yeah, so however I, yeah. what i can tell you is that you know my own experience working in public schools and private schools the bullying we see in those schools potentially is different, yeah. but there's even yeah. more bullying that can go on in private schools depending on the discipline and code of conduct rules. Okay. You know, that you what they do the is that there's more exclusion and clicking and nastiness behind the scenes, but overtly, we may not have a lot of that physical stuff. So you mean the code of conduct and discipline at the school? It has a lot to do with the level and clarity mm-hmm. of discipline and consequences and the rules for behavior. So tolerance. But, Tolerance, right? And a lot of times, you know, the schools, because they are paid, you know, parents pay into those schools. Yeah. Schools are looser in terms of those policies. They try to keep those things from being kind of a, an issue. Yeah. They don't want to come down hard on kids because it's a different model. But they have to nonetheless because kids will test out these behaviors anywhere. Right. And the if they... adults have to kind of throw those lines. Yeah, but if they don't extinguish that stuff and they have low tolerance levels, that stuff can spread like wildfire across the campus. The other part of it is a lot of times I see in private schools the entitlement. Big that time. They have money, and so they go to the school, and then they, they bully through that kind of stuff, and that's the way it shows itself on the campus. It's a big problem, and part of the problem then is that mainly, uh, you know, many more times in those situations adults get involved because the parents may be very powerful figures. Right. And they then use their influence or those kind of bullying, I don't want to say bullying tactics all the time, but sometimes that's how it comes across, by threatening and pushing schools to do it a certain way, or they threaten to pull their kids out. So that's a potentially problematic area. Yeah, and you know what the other thing is, I can guarantee, as I'm sure you can, this stuff is going on at those homes, and that's why these kids are doing it. It's just a different form of bullying. Yeah. It is. And a lot of it is, you know, in those families, like competition, you know, it's like you've got to be top on the list. And they're mm-hmm. pushing their kids to strive to be on top at all costs. So sure. kids have to find ways to maintain that status because bullying is a lot many times for kids, especially in, you know, middle school and high school, about status and being on top and having the best opportunities for the better schools for college. So maybe there's different levels of bullying, different motivations, I guess, because there some are, are to, get on, some to get on top, some yeah. to just be powerful because they have no voice at home, or some right. that's just the only behavior they know. Right. 
However, I think the common thread is that most kids are really, especially after elementary school, become increasingly reliant on their own social group. Yeah. And that everyone wants to be connected to their peers. You know, Charlie, I mean, as you know, really, it's all about, you know, kids have to separate from parents and become independent, blah, blah, blah. But they want to be part of a social community. Right. They need another family outside their home. That's what it's about. And when kids are bullied, it actually is moving them out of a community. They don't have a place to go, and that's where it gets really risky. Yeah. And kids need each other. And whatever bullying efforts are done, they have to be geared towards you know, bringing kids together and connecting and making kids feel like they don't have to be alone in that community. Right. But you know what I've seen a lot of, especially here in Los Angeles, is those kids that get pushed out of their community because of their bullying are the ones that are starting to formulate a gang. Yeah, because they're looking they're for their own social community. Right. Right. Because right? they yep. need that. Look, if you're so isolated that you have nowhere to go, you're at more risk for depression, anxiety, potentially even suicide if you don't have the coping skills, right? right? Drugs, alcohol. Drugs, all of that stuff. But if you form a group, even if it's not necessarily a group that looks like it's a good thing, it's still a caring group for you. Yeah, That's absolutely. That's why kids move to those groups. Right. You're wanted. That's what it's about. All right. Let's hang on. Let's take a live call, right? Mandy, are you there? Yes. So, Mandy, you're on with uh, Mary Carey and Dr. Joel Haber. We're talking about bullying. What's your question? Awesome. Thank you. So, my son was bullied his first year of middle school, and um, it was a really <laughs> um, intense situation. Um, he was first year to the school. Um, he, his college football team lost um, the weekend before, a big loss. And so, um, at the lunchroom, a bunch of kids started making fun of him. Um, about his college team losing, and then they didn't get a rise out of him, and so it escalated. And the next thing was um, what a, a girl was in the group making fun of him, saying, you know, you have bigger boobs than I do. Mm-hmm. Um, they still didn't get a rise out of him. So a, a group of kids circled the lunch table and started making fun of the way he was wow. eating his corn dog and started calling, screaming, calling him a fag and, like, right. chanting at him, literally. Where's the school? Um, it's in oh, Scottsdale, Arizona. It's a pretty, you know, you know, influential area, and and it's it's not like it's you know a, a bad area of town or bad kids or the the lunchroom person saw what was going on, saw everything that was going on, pulled my son aside. He went to the counselor's office, and then after school, of course, called me just hysterically bawling, telling us you know what had happened. Um, so first thing the next morning, of course, my husband and I are um, in the principal's office Yeah. before the first bell rang. I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. And um, they said, absolutely, we heard what went on. We got, you know, talked to the people that were in the lunchroom. What he told you is exactly what happened. We're very wow. sorry. We have a zero tolerance. We will not accept this. We will handle it. These kids will be expelled. Wow. That's what oh, we were wow. told. Expelled. We'll take swift action. Um, my son came home that night and said that they called them all, all the kids into the office. Nobody was expelled. They got lunchroom detention, and he said no one even pays attention if you do lunchroom detention or not. Uh, so so it was in really, nothing happened. So, and so I feel like I let him down. Well, wait, you didn't let him down. The school let him down. And the school well, yeah, let you down. The absolutely. school let you down. And, you know, Mary, right. yeah. as you're a mother, and, and uh, that's very terrible to go through and to feel that for your child. But, I mean, Mary went through it learning about how her mother was bullied as a child. So, I mean, it's never easy as the whether you're being bullied or you're the person connected to the bully victim. It's right. tough. So, But in general, how did you didn't let him down. What do you think, Joel? 
No, no, no. I mean, I have to yeah. say, first of all, your son did a really good job trying to kind of not let it get to him, trying not to show the big emotional reactions. He did everything that he was supposed to do. But then as it escalated, come on, I mean, he faced an onslaught that was impossible for any kid to manage there. He was basically surrounded, right? Yeah. Right. The school in really in yeah, exactly should have done what they said they would do, which is had a very strong hand in discipline and consequences and set a tone to knock that behavior out, but they failed their response there. They didn't do what they said they would do. So how does your child feel safe to realize that it's not going to happen again? Now, my son just decided that um, if you can't beat him, join him. Uh, and so he, um, this is a straight A in advanced class. The student never has made less than a 95% on anything. And um, he started running around with this group of kids. All of his grades dropped. We wow. started seeing a change in his behavior, um, just, you know, really defiant, um, just it, it was just a complete switch, and so um, we decided the only thing that we needed to take swift action. So we him out, checked right? him out of that school. Good for you. And the, the day I checked him out of that school, he had an F in every single class. How long did that take for him to like get to that point where he was A to F? Um, it took from I would say October to March. Wow! But you know, if I can make a point on that, and. First of all, I really admire your, the way you responded to him and the way you dealt with that situation by getting him out of there. But he, you can understand, because when, you know, when we look at teenage needs, they, and, you, know, you said it before, Dr. Sophie, it's this whole notion of kids want to be part of a group. He was willing to give up what he was good at, what he was mm-hmm. a star at, to join the group. But right? that's, that's sad. It is sad, but it's so powerful that kids, there's data to say that kids, like especially middle school years, are so needy of social connection they want that more than they want food. So and that's it, how powerful their brains seek social connection. So is that peer pressure? It's, it's not just peer It is. It's peer pressure. It's the need, though, to be affiliated. He uh, felt so isolated here. He would do anything to join, to be part of a group. It's so but desperate. It is. But his parents did right. And I have to say, that's a great story to really speak about the effectiveness of what caring, loving parents did right there, which is that's to great. know their son, pull him out of that bad situation, and move him, which is the right call. So you don't you don't advocate staying in it and trying to work through it to, you know, when it's that bad. Well, no, it depends. I always want kids first to try to see if they can manage through that. But you can hear in the situation the school was completely ineffective in doing what they needed to to set the lines and let kids know that that behavior was not going to be tolerated. So this kid just had to join the group because that's what everyone was doing. Yeah, they were getting away with it. Yeah. yeah. So the parents were effective here in in doing right and taking him out. Well, Mandy, good for you. Congratulations to you and your husband. But where are you at with your son? I mean, did you ever, like, don't you have to have some cleanup after that, some talking about it or kind of, you know, resolution? Yeah, you know, he was really upset, of course, with my husband and I for changing him schools because he felt like he was now in the popular crowd. And he, um, you know, it was just one of those things of you're just going to have to trust us that we we know what we're doing and switched him schools mid-year, which was, I know it was tough tough. for him. But he said, he said they make fun of me for turning in my homework, and they make fun of me for getting a grade on tests. Wow. There you go. And we went to the school. We talked to the school. We, you know, had exhausted all of our possibilities with the school. Nothing was being done. We felt like this was our only option. You know, now he's um, he's in high school now. He has a great group of friends. There you um, go. Very he's nice. he is in a he's kind of the the he's not a rough and tumble kid. 
but he is extremely smart, and he's kind of the popular guy that all of the, the the girls and the guys kind of hang around. Like, hey, dude, you're so good at math. Can you help me with this? Can you help me with that? And, nice. and like, he's really accepted. He's really in a good place, and the school he's at now is amazing. Very nice. Good story. Yeah, you did That's a great, great job and good parenting. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you. So, what do you do? With, but what do you do as a parent when you feel like this? Because, like, you know, Mary's left with residual as well of like. You know, watching somebody you love being taken advantage of, being put down, that kind of stuff. I mean, did you deal with that yourself or your husband? You know, it's tough because I still have this thing inside of me that I'm I'm angry and I'm not trying to make it about me, but I'm so angry at that school mm-hmm. of what it, I I I I. I of course, I'm upset that obviously there's yeah. not there's no parenting going on in these homes because if I got because the parents were notified as well of their kids' yeah. behavior if if that came home to me, I can promise you it would be taken care of right and so that was upsetting to me, but just the whole breakdown of the school system, I still feel like how do I explain that to him and but but what I did do, and I feel like has really kind of turned things ar- ar- around the most is that he really trusts my husband and I. He sees that he's in a better place. He sees that, you know, mom and dad know what they're talking about. Sometimes it doesn't feel like it's the best decision to me, but right, right. look mm-hmm. at the decision. So that's really kind of what we've played on. But um, now he's he tells us everything. He's a good kid, straight A's, you know, good group of friends. And but I still feel like I let him down. Like I yeah. put him in that school and like I couldn't, fix it somehow. Yeah, but like like Dr. Haber said, you did the right thing. You jumped in, you saved him, you pulled him out, you took charge. And I mean, that's what a parent does. Not every, And if I, may, if I may also say, your goal initially by putting him in that school was to really give him a great education. You intentionally put him in there thinking you were going to get something different than you got. When you recognized yeah. it wasn't that way, you pulled him out. So feeling bad, really, you got to let that go. Because you know what, truly, you had no intention of making him feel bad. Your goal was the opposite. You right. couldn't know what you knew, what you know now about that school, right? And I how also... do I explain the breakdown of the school system and that no one helped him? That that his principal completely went against her word because he was in on that meeting where they said this is no tolerance; they're going to be expelled. Right, right but then so there's a the breakdown like of trust. People yeah. he's supposed to look up to lied. Yeah, they right. lied. You lied. But you didn't lie to him because you didn't know that until this happened, and then you stepped in. Right. That's why you have to say, look, you know what? We made a mistake, but we couldn't have known about that. We did right, and that's what you have to feel good about. Good job, Mandy. All right, thank, thank you. Thank you. Take care. Thanks. All right. So, um, Joel, I think yeah. that, that's a pretty typical situation. You know, it's a. I don't know. When you say typical, there's so many different kinds of situations that come up now. Yeah. Because of you know the different kinds of bullying through technologies. You know, when we worked on that, um, you know, text ed group together. I mean, with technology, there's now no place where kids can get away from bullying. Well, that's what Mary was saying before you got on. So awful. Gosh. She she couldn't imagine going to school and having all that stuff. Well, the problem is, like, I just heard yesterday, this girl came into my office and basically said, you know, I used to be bullied at school, but now I'm on Facebook, I'm on social media, I'm doing all these things. So now when I come home, I open my computer, and now I get to see who's hanging out with who. So if she's excluded in school, she comes home and she sees now she's excluded again. So it only adds to it. Yeah, how does she ever disconnect from that stuff? That's a nightmare for her. Yeah, but for most parents, too. I also think in in Mandy's case, it's a breakdown not only of the school situation, but it's also a breakdown of the community of parents. Because if you can't rely on other parents to be parents, then you're, like, really screwed. 
Yeah, it's worse. You're absolutely right. right. And that's why, like, these are the kinds of things that we need to get out there, that communities need to pull together. And you got to be able to rely on other parents, that you know that if you're going to hear something, you're going to do something in your house the same way I'm going to do something in my house. It may not be the same exact thing, but you're going to address it and get your, your child in line. I, I guess, look, I would love to believe we could create those kind of communities. Yeah. I mean, I think we're all putting out that word, and we're all trying to get that to happen, but there's a lot of issues going against that from happening, like technology, fast-paced lives, economy, economy, people shutting down, like, you know, from hanging out with each other and extended families are, you know, living together in the same way. Everyone wants immediate gratification and have very insular lives right now. But schools or communities do have to, exactly as you say, try to pull together to create more caring places for kids, parents, and families right. to kind of hang and, and be with each other. Right, and emotionally and physically safer places. Absolutely. I think that's, that's the answer. How to get there is a long build. I know, but that's why we're doing this stuff. Let's do an email or uh, what do we have, a voicemail from a, uh earlier caller. Hold on, you guys. Hi, Dr. Sophie. I was calling to find out if you can help me with something. I'm having a problem with bullying. My whole life I've been bullied since I was really little, um, you know, I've been overweight my whole life and bigger than the rest of the kids. And, you know, it, it's just getting really bad now, and I don't want to leave the house. And wow. I can't bear the thought of going outside and having people look at me or talk about me or make faces at me. I mean, what should I do? I mean, I know I can't live my life inside and hide away from everybody the rest of my life, but how can I calm my nerves and make myself feel better or even, you know, try and dodge, you know, being bullied. I mean, I know I can't stop what other people do, but is there anything I can do, you know, with myself that can make me feel more confident or, you know, just hold my head up high? Because this is a huge problem for me and a huge problem everywhere. And, you know, I just want to stop it. I just want it to be stopped. So maybe you can give me some answers and I would really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Bye. Wow, that was pretty powerful. It is. And it's a very tough issue because when someone's been bullied their whole lives, you know, like, it becomes to they become to feel like they're going to never fit in. Right. So confidence really gets, yeah. gets really yeah, pushed down. But like it was a complicated issue. I'm not sure, but we can certainly give her some, some tips. I mean, when I, when I heard that story, it just causes me to feel so sad for her. But in reality, you know, look, she probably has things about her that are really good inside. Absolutely. Unique, special traits. Her strengths. Her right? strengths. So right. And what the, we have to find out, and I would ask her to either work with someone or find like a good, you know, mentor, counselor, therapist, coach, someone who can help her see those strengths, work on them, and then learn skills to kind of show those strengths. So she doesn't have to always feel victimized because she's right. obviously so sensitive to any victimization at this point. Yep. Right? And she may need more from the psychiatric side, of course, you know, in terms of maybe anxiety reduction and those things. But she certainly needs to find out who she is inside yeah. and develop that part of her I again. I think you're absolutely right. And, that's been and, lost. And find that core piece of herself so she can absolutely. build on it. Absolutely. All right, Joel, I want to let you go. I know you got to go to work or you got to go do something. So yeah, tell us, thank you. where do we find you and tell me about your books? Yeah, um, my website is www.respectthelettereu.com, R-E-S-P-E-C-T-U.com. I also, um, all my stuff is on there, but I also have a new book like yeah. called The Resilience Formula. Right which is a guide to proactive, not reactive parenting. Ah, very nice. Yeah, I'm also the author of Bullyproof Your Child for Life. Love it. Right, and that book has been out for a few years, and I've gotten a lot of recognition for that. That's yes. how I've gotten into this whole field. Yes. But everyone, really, uh, my website has so much of what I do, and I actually put out confidence kits, worry kits, yeah. and resilience kits for kids on a website that we call Toolkits for Kids. Ah. And it's a really, it's cognitive behavioral tools that parents can teach their kids 
to give them brush-ups on confidence and help them overcome worry and anxiety and build resilience. They're actually, we sell them around the world. We love them. They're really kind of fun for kids to do. And parents can learn the scripts and the language they need to help their kids. And they're on your site? They're on my site, Toolkits for Kids. Yeah? www.respectu.com. Dr. And the Joel U Haber. is the letter U. Yeah? And the U is the letter U. Thank you, you very much. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. So <laughs> tell me, like you were saying, you your mother has this resistance. Yeah, well, I think that she always feels like she doesn't fit in when she's in with any group of people. She doesn't feel like she fits in. Um, you know, well, except for when she does go to like sometimes like, you know, like a daycare, like um, she used to go to an adult like daycare place where they right. do like arts and crafts. And then she would actually like enjoy that and, and feel like she was. Yeah, and she would actually always have a lot of friends and stuff. But um, when she would be around normal people, she would, well, you know, she, I mean, how normal is anyone? But, you yeah. know, people that didn't have disabilities, yeah. she always felt like that nobody liked her. And, and do you think that's because of the disability or because of the remnants and the scars of that kind of behavior? I think it's a little bit of both. I think that, I mean, she definitely feels like no one listens to her and stuff yeah. like that. And I think that's because growing up, in school, I mean, she only really had one friend, you know, her or her friend from middle school was another girl who got picked on. Yeah. And that's still her one friend, like one of her still, only friends to this day. That's amazing. Yeah. And um, I, I think that if no one ever listens to you when you're growing up or, you know, because that's one thing I definitely think is that the way you, um, you are when you're a teenager and the way people treat you and, and stuff, unfortunately, that's kind of like how you're used to Yeah, you get being, formulated yeah. around that, and that's what you're going to use as your template. Yeah, exactly. Well, tell me, does she still talk about the bullying ever? Does she recall it? You know, um, not really. I mean, once in a while she'll say, oh, well, I had no friends in school. But she remembers or, it, though. Yeah, she definitely remembers and so that. That's, that's she always just, says that's what made her happy is that I had friends, and she always says, when I was growing up in high school, I'm so happy you have friends. I never had friends. That's like so that. sad, but that's the impact of that kind of behavior on kids, disability or not. Mm -hmm. It lingers. It makes scars. And, yeah, and stuff like that makes me just, uh, it's just sad that people feel like that, you know? Yeah. All right. I think we have uh, a voicemail we can take. Let's take one together. Okay. You can be the expert. Oh, okay. Uh, hi, Dr. Sophie. This is Stan with a question about bullying. And it, it seems that as a society, the last couple of years, we've become almost hypersensitized to bullying and for good reason. There's been plenty of, of nasty stories in the news about bullying. But it's almost as if the word is starting to become overused and becoming a, a generic term for any sort of behavior that might be out of line. And therein lies my question. How do you differentiate between bullying behavior, what is potentially dangerous behavior, versus normal behavior among kids? Because kids are not always going to get along, and um, they, there's always going to be a kid who's a bit of a problem, another kid who is perhaps a bit of the target. But where does that line in the sand occur, so to speak, between acceptable behavior and dangerous behavior. Thanks for your response. That was interesting. I think we talked about that. Yeah, I was going to say, I think what we talked think? about that. What are we talking, um, Stanley? Well, you know, I think that it's when, when it's when um, there's a group of kids, you said more than one or two, right. and if the, you know, if you can tell the person's actually upset and then the, the kids don't stop, right. then that's bullying. Right. But if it's just a one-on-one -on -one and they're joking around, then that's not bullying. Right. You but, listened well. Yeah, I do. Good job.
So we were talking earlier, Mary, <laughs> when we had this voicemail from yeah. Stan about his uh, bullying and asking a question, how do you know you cross the line? What is bullying? Yes. And I think you got it right, ne- hit that nail on the head. You were mm-hmm. listening. Yes. And it is about the point when kids are interacting, adults are interacting. It's when you're either being interacted upon, somebody's yeah. doing something to you or you're doing it to them and you're not taking that social cue to stop. that they're upset. Mm-hmm. And as a parent or as an adult, it's your job to teach your child those social mm-hmm. cue signs to know when somebody's yes. upset and to stop. And as an adult, you need to be aware to stop. And once mm-hmm. you don't stop, then that's the line. And that's bullying. Yep. There you go. So tell me about husbands and wives bullying. Does well, that yeah, ever I happen? I mean, I definitely think. You are successfully think in a marriage for I am, but I definitely think years. that sometimes if we get in an argument, yeah. I would I will say something that I know. I mean, based on the definition of now bullying, I, right. I do. I will pick on something that I know upsets him that I will keep going at. So I yeah. guess technically that would be, according to this definition, I would be bullying. Yeah. But I don't think I'm a bully. I know. No bully. Thinks <laughs> <a> bully <laughs> no. But um, yeah, I guess I, I mean, but I've definitely gotten better on that. I think we're all guilty of some but, of this stuff. Yeah. But I, I see. I only do that when someone yells at me, though. Yeah, I understand. So it's like I feel like I'm being yelled at, but which maybe is kind of like he's bullying first. me first. Yeah. Right. So I think. So I'm the I'm the one, I'm the I'm the person reacting. I'm like You're the, the bully. Victim. I'm a victim that fights back finally. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and not that it's right, but you yeah. got to stand up for yourself. But yeah. I think you know you should go home and ex- educate Explain. him. Yeah, I'm gonna make what we learned and have him listen. Well, to I'm gonna Mario listen to the podcast. That's exactly. Good. All right, Mario. Although she's... he might not like my electrician story earlier. Right. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Sophie here with our my weekly podcast today. Our subject uh, and topic was on bullying, talking about when do you know if your child's bullied? How do you know if you're bullied? What are the signs of bullying? What is a victim of bullying? What is a bully? What is a bullier? All of those kinds of issues. We dealt with them with uh, our expert, Dr. Joel Haber, who is a bullying expert, and he has tons of experience, lots of books, lots of great information on his website at www.respectu.com. And the U is the letter U. He has got great books and some really good scripts, he says, for parents to be able to use when they want to talk to their children. And maybe, Mary, you can use it when you're going to talk to your husband. I know. It's true. Yeah. And so there's good uh. ways to be able to talk to people about bullying and educate. We had a great caller who had a real issue with their child, yeah. really sad issue, but they handled it well. And we had another call or we had a voicemail from really someone who's been bullied yeah. all their life and the residuals of that and how to move forward from it. And you were able to share a little bit about your mom and, and her bullying and how that all came about. And it lingers on for life. Yeah, it definitely does. It does make an impression. So bullying is not cool. We have a lot of good information today uh, from Dr. Haber, from Mary Carey. And and Mary, where do we find you and all of your wonderful stuff? Yeah, I'm just going to say Twitter backslash real Mary Carey. Okay. <laughs> and what else? What are you up to these um, days? Well, I'm working on a book, like ah. you know, an autobiography slash tell-all. So I'll have some really good stories. But I think it'll also just you know show people, because I think a lot of people who've gotten in the adult industry came from um, an abusive or, you know, like an like uneducated, a whore, you know, a bad childhood. I mean, granted, my parents are both mentally handicapped, but being raised with my grandparents and going to, I think I had a great education and they were really wonderful. Thank you, everybody. Mary Carey for adding into all of this today. Podcasts are always available on my website at www.drsophie.com. Again, www.drsophie.com. Call in anytime you want, 1-855-SOPHIE-NOW or 1-855-767-4966. Please follow me on Twitter and Facebook. 
Read my book side by side, the mother-daughter conflict resolution book, because who doesn't need that when you have a mother or you're a daughter or you're a daughter and you're a mother? Those people fight, so you need that. You need that book. And again, visit iTunes to download the full version of Andy Grammer's Keep Your Head Up. And of all things, please don't forget this week. But you gotta keep your head up. Oh, and you can let your head down. Hey, you gotta keep your head up. Oh, and you can let your head down.